Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I have an amazing show for you tonight. Whenever we close the week, it's a chance for you and I to talk and to review some of the more interesting things that we have seen and heard and been around this week. Some of them are funny. Some of them are tragic. Some of them are thought-provoking. But all of them we cover with earnest anticipation of this amazing show that we get to do each time we gather. And tonight is absolutely no different. I got a bunch of headlines for you. I got some Ask Dr. Sean. Settle in, people. We're going to have a good time tonight. Ah, listen, listen. It's that time of year. (laughs) Summer's coming. Play the bumper, Hiley. So let's talk about Georgia. Because, you know, every black person you know has somebody that they know that lives in Atlanta. <laughs> Let's talk about Georgia. Some interesting things going on in Georgia, not the least of which is Stacey Abrams is running for governor against Brian Kemp. The race has been officially set. Brian Kemp, of course, won his uh, gubernatorial uh, primary beating the candidate that Donald Trump supported, ironically, which says a lot about Georgia and says a lot about the Republican Party in Georgia, and it says a lot about Donald Trump, because that was the race that Trump wanted to have his candidate win the most, because Georgia was in large part why he lost the presidential race in 2020. But Brian Kemp won, and it's going to be a rematch, people. You know, nothing like a good rematch, right? Stacey Abrams is going to be running against Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp won the last time in part because while he was, I think, the attorney general of the state, he changed the rules for elections. But this time, it's going to be a different story. And my, all I have to say about this is run, Stacey, run. Run. Come on, Steve. Go say it with me. He's not saying anything. Run, Stacey, run. I can't wait to see her run for this because Stacey Abrams is a bona fide political leader. Do you, do, you do know that part of the reason why the state of Georgia has a black man in the Senate and a Jewish man in the Senate is in large part due to Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams laid the groundwork in her first run for governor. She laid the political infrastructure to really rally people to come to the polls. And Stacey Abrams built her career not like a lot of progressive politicians do. A lot of progressive politicians these days, some in New York, (laughs) I'm not going to mention any names, They, they basically go on TV and they, you know, it's their Twitter and their Instagram and their TikTok. That's how they build a, a reputation. She didn't do that. She did it the hard way. She did it the right way. She did it the real way. She actually went out into rural Georgia and organized working class and poor white people and black people to vote for their own interest. To vote their own interest. Because a lot of times the Republican Party has convinced rural whites to vote against their own interest. So what they say is, don't like abortion, but ignore the fact that your wages haven't gone up. Don't like gay people, but ignore the fact that your access to health care is deplorable and, if, and, and that you're probably two paychecks away from being homeless. And Stacey Abrams went out into the rural parts of Georgia and said, no, stop, stop being you know, pursued and, 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 and triggered by these cultural issues. And you forget the fact that you've got to put food on your table. You've got to take care of your sick mother. And Georgians, white and black, really rallied to her cause. You see, there are only two ways to have political power in this country. You listening? This is important. There's only two ways to have political power. Don't ever forget this. 
you have to have either money or you have to have people. Now, if you have money and people, you got real power. But if you don't have money, you don't have people, you don't have real political power. You, got either, you either have to have a, a, a checkbook or you have to have an actual political base. Votes. J.C. Abrams has a real base. It's going to be a powerful thing to see this happen. Can you imagine a black woman as the governor of the state of Georgia, a black man as a senator for Georgia, and a Jewish man as the other senator for the state of Stonewall Jackson would roll over in his grave <laughs> if he saw a black woman as the governor of Georgia. So this race is actually kind of important. To, all, to call all your friends that live in Atlanta and make sure that they vote for Stacey because the race is important. It's important that we say to all the bigots and all the racists and all the people who don't like anybody that ain't like them, it's a new day, people. So let Stonewall start rolling over in his grave right now. Let's do another headline. Let's talk about this Russian diplomat. So, you know, I, um, I saw this story at the beginning of the week, and I couldn't wait to share it to you because I, I, I love stories like this, okay? This, to me, is a, is a master class in leadership. You ready for this? So a Russian diplomat at the United Nations office in Geneva resigned over Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. Boris Bonderev um, blasted the war and called it a disgrace and a crime against the people of the Ukraine and a crime against the people of Russia. But unlike most people who don't like the war, Boris put his money where his mouth is. You hear me? And that's why this is a masterclass for leadership. Boris didn't just say he didn't like the war. You know what he did? He resigned. He left the United Nations office in Geneva and decided he did not want to represent Vladimir Putin's government. And he left. He put his money where his mouth is. He did not want to be a part of a government that he did not agree with. And so because he didn't agree, he left the government. Okay? I don't know anything about Boris Banderev. I've never met him. In fact, I never even heard of the man before. But this is what leadership looks like. Don't tell me you're a leader and you're not willing to risk anything. Don't tell me you're a leader and you're willing to go along to get along and you play along as long as you get with some of what you like. Huh? That's not leadership. If you don't support something, don't be a part of it. If you don't support it, don't put your name on it. Don't, don't take a paycheck from it. Y'all not ready for me tonight. If you don't support it, don't take its money. Because that tells me everything you really support. It's like, it's like all these black pastors don't like gay folks, but they take their tithes and offerings. Huh? <laughs> oh, you don't like gay people, but you take their money? I'll take black pastors who don't like gay people seriously, uh, serious when they give back all them tithes and offerings. When they say, if you're gay, lesbian, stand up, we're going to give you back all your tithes and offerings. Then I'll take you serious. But until then, hey, you, you're just playing. You're just talking. Boris Banderev is a serious man, okay? Don't tell me you disagree with something and then you go ahead and be a part of the thing you disagree with. That's not how it works. We spent four years in this country with people saying they didn't like everything Donald Trump did and they didn't support everything Donald but they never resigned and they, and they were never willing to sacrifice power for principle. But Boris did that. And that's why he is... Leadership 101 today. You feel me? If you don't like what your employer is doing, don't work there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm cooking with hot grease. You know I am. 
If you don't like what your employer is doing, don't work there. You can find you another job. Because if you take their money, then you don't get to sit around and complain about what they're doing or what they're not doing. You're taking their money. You're participating in whatever it is you're complaining about. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're dating somebody and you don't like how they're treating you, guess what you get to do? You don't have to date them. You ain't got to sit around and beg and, and cajole and, you know, and manipulate and give people ultimatums. No, there ain't going to be the ultimatum. There's going to be a change in personality. <laughs> you, yeah, I, you got to go. Yeah. If you don't like how a friend is treating you, guess what you get to do? You get to decide that they're not your friend no more. You have that power. Exercise that power. It's an important thing to do because sometimes you, you simply have to decide that you would rather be alone than to be a part of something that demeans your humanity and degrades your dignity. And if you are not willing to walk alone or be by yourself or sleep by yourself or eat by yourself or lose some of your nice your trinkets and, 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 and accoutrement of work, and, and if you're not willing to lose anything, then you don't get to complain about all the things you're complaining about. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I like Boris, you hear me? This is my kind of guy. Boris said, I ain't for this war. I don't support this foolishness. And when you don't support foolishness, guess what you do? You leave foolishness alone. You walk away from foolishness. You know why? Because it's foolishness. Don't y'all get me started. I'm fired up today. Let's do one more before I take a break. All right. So you guys know, in the United States uh, uh, Congress, there are um, Capitol Police, there are Secret Service, uh, and then there's also someone called the Sergeant at Arms. Just stay with me, this is gonna get interesting. So the Sergeant at Arms is really in charge of all the security for the United States Capitol complex, all right? He's the one guy or the woman, whoever it may be, male or female, who is in charge of all of it, okay? That guy right there is the Sergeant at Arms of the United States Capitol complex. And he recently revealed that he does not believe, listen to this, he does not believe that lawmakers should be allowed to carry guns on the U.S. Capitol complex. Okay? Mr. Walker's comments, uh, William Walker is his name, and Mr. Walker's comments came, 18, uh, uh, came days later after the 18-year-old down in uh, Texas killed all of those uh, blessed angel, wonderful children and their teachers at the Robb Elementary School in Texas. And after reflecting on the death of these little precious babies, these angels, Mr. Walker, who is the Sergeant at Arms, United States uh, Congress said, he doesn't think that lawmakers should be allowed to bring guns on the complex. Now, you know, regular people can't bring guns anywhere on the complex, but lawmakers can keep have guns in their offices. And, and it's a whole complex where you have, you have like the U.S. Capitol, and then you have the, you know, the Russell office, the, the Senate office buildings, the Russell, Longworth, I used to work in one of those buildings. And he's saying nobody, nobody should have guns. And, and, I, and I wanted to do this headline because I think he's absolutely right. With the kind of people that we are electing to Congress right now, some of which are absolutely out of their damn minds, they about as crazy as some of the crazy people doing crazy stuff in this country. And, and since this country is, is preoccupied with electing crazy, it is probably a very good idea that nobody be allowed to have guns on the Capitol complex, including lawmakers, because some of the people that are being elected can't be trusted. And you say, Dr. Sean, oh, Dr. Sean, 
you being hyperbolic. Like the sun. No, 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 I'm not, because it's happened before, people. Okay? It's happened before. You've heard of a guy named Harvey Milk? Harvey Milk was a councilman in San Francisco who was shot down and murdered in his office by another councilman. Not some random, Harvey Milk was not killed by some random stranger. He was killed by another politician in his office. That's what happens when you let guns, when you let politicians huh, who are not stable have guns at work because they're politicians and they should know better. Ask Harvey Milk and the people that loved him and continue to love him if that's true or not. Listen. I don't care what nobody says. I don't care what nobody says. You hear me? And I'm usually not this stringent on this. I'm usually pretty open-minded. But I don't care what nobody says. You are not going to convince me that having more guns is going to make me more safe. Because now, now you just got more. You got the gunmen shooting, and you got people who ain't trained shooting at the gunmen. Sounds, it just sounds more dangerous to me. What is this preoccupation that this country has with guns? I don't understand it. What is that? You know, y'all ain't fighting no war. You want to fight a war, there's one going on in Ukraine. Go on over there and fight with them. Or for them, I should say. What is this preoccupation that we have with guns and death and killing and violence? Huh? You feel, you feel big and strong now? You got a gun? It's, it's amazing how people will say things to you when they got a weapon that they never say to you with their two hands. Hot grease. Anyway. You know, we can't control a person's mental health. We saw that when what happened in Texas, right? In Uvalde, Texas. We can't control somebody's mental health. We cannot, we cannot monitor whether someone is stable or not stable. We can't. Not everybody. You know what I'm saying? You can't monitor everybody. You simply can't. But what you can do is you can make it harder for people who are unstable to have access to guns. Now that we can do. I can't climb into your mind to determine if you are unstable, but I can make you go through a background check and have some kind of review process to adjudicate if you have good sense. And then and only then should I give you access to a gun. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. How about we stop praying and start doing some of the things we can do? Okay? Nobody should have a gun on the Capitol complex if you're not a part of law enforcement, the Capitol Police, or the Secret Service. All right? What y'all need guns for? Y'all can barely legislate. How about y'all pass some bills and help some people? Huh? Some poor white folks, some working class black folks, some Latinx people, LGBTQ women. How about y'all do that? You're worried about guns in your office. How about you legislate on the Senate floor? Let's take a break. Hot grease, baby. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So, you know, thank God for Obamacare. I'm just saying. There was a time in my life uh, when I didn't have health insurance and I needed health insurance. And I had to get Obamacare. Thank God for Obamacare. And this story is, that I'm about to give you isn't about Obamacare, but it is about hospitals and health insurance and companies and what they do, okay? Because everybody who smiles in your face may not be on your side. 
Check out this story because this story is going to get in your craw, okay? You're going to be a little upset somewhere in the middle of this story. Because if you're not, it's because you ain't never dealt with a hospital. Here we go. So Lisa French was uh, warned by her doctors that she uh, could be paralyzed if she tripped and fell on her back. And that uh, the hospital told her that she needed to have a, a procedure, a surgery, um, that would cost her a little over $1,300 out of her pocket um, uh, to fix her back. Okay? And so, of course, if the doctor tells you that if you don't get the surgery, you're going to, if you trip and fall, you'll be paralyzed, you get the surgery. Now, here's the thing. So after two surgeries, uh, she recovered. Thank God for that, right? She recovered and her back was fine and whatever was wrong with her back, which I don't know because I'm not a medical doctor, they fixed it. But then they did this part. They sent her a bill for over $300,000. Now they told her that the, the procedure was going to cost $1,300. And the bill she got was for over $300,000. So if my mama was here, she would say somebody lied <laughs> because if you tell me the surgery is going to cost 1300 I get a bill for over 300, 300,000, somebody has definitely told a lie. Here's what happened. So at the time when Lisa was signing the documents to give consent for the surgery, she signed a document that triggered a bunch of hidden charges that nobody told her about. You follow what I'm saying? Lisa unknowingly signed up to pay all the charges related to hospitals secretive charge master price rates, which is a master list of prices that determine the sticker price for everything that the hospital does. So, so you know, you know, you go to the hospital you're about to have, and you just sign stuff. She was she was just signing, trusting the people that were giving her the paper. And she ended up signing something that triggered these master charges. And they were so indelible and so excessive that, was, that, that a surgery that was supposed to be $1,300 ended up, everything included, you know, they charged, I, I, I don't know, but it, they must have charged her for the ice, <laughs> for the sheets, she was, for the to toilet tissue she was using, came up to over $300,000. And, and he, here's why I wanted to give you the story, because unfortunately, we're living in a time when people who are supposed to heal you will take advantage of you. Come on now. We're living at a time when you can't even trust people who are supposed to come in the name of healing. And we're living at a time where if you don't protect yourself, you are not going to be protected. Just because somebody's a doctor or a nurse or an insurance person or a pastor or a bishop or a therapist. No, 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 no. Don't get caught up in the title. Don't get caught up in the organization. Okay. Because if the Boy Scouts can mess around and hurt children, then surely a hospital can mess around and hurt patients. That's the, that's the time that we're living in. And you need to protect yourself, beloved. Don't just, don't just sit down and sign stuff because a doctor gave it to you or a nurse or a person in an office with a nice dress or a nice tie on. Oh, no. Matter of fact, you shouldn't be signing nothing and putting your name on it without reading all of it and having a professional read it as well. Because you know what happens? You end up having to pay over $300,000 for something that they told you was only going to cost $1,300. Yeah, you got to protect yourself. You got to love yourself enough to protect yourself from people who would like to destroy you. Because your life matters. How about that? Well, the good news is, because I like to bring good news. The good news is, and thankfully, Lisa took her case to court. She sued the hospital. 
And apparently the Colorado Supreme Court ruled in her favor and said that she did not have to pay and she was not liable to pay the massive bill that they tried to level against her. Here's the last thing I'll say about this. The Supreme Court of Colorado didn't go far enough. Not only should she not have to pay the hospital, but somebody should have been paying her for lying. You know what I'm saying? There ought to be consequences for lying to people, especially in the tune of over $300,000. But let's move on. <laughs> Hot grease, baby. Let's talk. Listen, did you hear this week about George W. Bush? Did you, did you hear this story? This is an interesting story. On Tuesday, an Iraqi national living in Columbus, Ohio, uh, was arrested for allegedly plotting to assassinate former President George W. Bush. Shahab Ahmed Shahab has been charged with uh, aiding and abetting uh, in the attempted murder of a former United States official. He allegedly planned to smuggle, check this out, to smuggle more Iraqi nationals into the country to help him do it. And the FBI uncovered the plot because of a confidential informant who recorded one of the sessions where they were discussing the assassination attempt. And let me just say very clearly, I'm very happy the FBI discovered this. I'm very happy that they stopped it. I'm very happy that George W. Bush uh, will not have to forego or undergo any kind of threat or attempt at his life. But immediately when I heard this story, you guys know what I thought. Because let's, let's be honest, all right? We're going to be honest. We're we going to be real. Me, it's just me and you. We're going to be real. When I first started telling you this story, what's the first thing you thought of? The first thing you thought of was probably the first thing I thought of, which was this. If they're going after former presidents, we need to triple Barack Obama's protection right now. Isn't that one of the first things you thought? When I saw the story, I said, listen, who do I need to call? Because we, we need Obama to be protected. We need him to be quadruply protected more than what he is right now if people are going after former presidents. Well, here's the interesting thing, though. I would not want to see anybody hurt. I would not want to see anybody assassinated. Even if I disagree with your politics and your policies, which is certainly the case with George W. Bush, I thought he was an awful president. I think he's actually a good man. He's probably a great guy to sit out and have dinner with and talk to. I, I actually think I might like him as a person, but I, his policies were deplorable. His politics were hideous. His warmongering was something that he should probably be ashamed of. Okay? But this story just goes to show Yet you can't go around the world tearing up other people's countries and expect them just to get over it. You know you, you know you want to agree with that. You can't go around the world tearing up, blowing up, bombing up other people's countries. And just because you're done with the, with the war doesn't mean that they're done with what you did. United States has a terrible reputation of just going around bombing people's countries, tearing up the landscape, you know what I'm saying? blowing up mountains, and then, you know, when we're done, we just move on, and then we expect the people that we just blew up for 20 years just to get over it. Just get over it. You know, my bad. No, it don't work like that. There's a reason why this man is an Iraqi national. There's a reason why he's an Iraqi national. His people are from Iraq. What did George W. Bush do to Iraq? He blew it up for no reason. Country that never attacked us, was no threat to us. He warmongered over there. And we were, we were at war in Iraq for how long? Decades. Again, I don't want anything to happen to George W. Bush or anybody else. 
I'm not advocating, I'm not condoning what, what these people are trying to do to him. I'm simply trying to make the case that you cannot blow up a person's country and expect them not to have a response. It happens. If George W. Bush was here right now, I would say to him, you know what, Mr. Former, Mr. President, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're okay, and I want you to do well, because I think you're probably a decent human being, but you owe, you, owe the, you owe the people of Iraq an apology, sir. You owe them an apology. You blew up their country. Had their leader assassinated, not assassinated, but you know, he, Saddam Hussein didn't live. <laughs> you owe them an apology. This is the very least, the, the minimum requirement of your humanity and the Christianity you claim to profess, because you claim to be a born-again Christian, saved and sanctified. That's what you claim to be. You claim that Jesus took that alcohol, taste for alcohol out of your mouth. And he redeemed you by the blood of the lamb. That's what you claim, Mr. Former, Mr. Former President. Well, then if that's who you follow and that's what you believe, then you at the very least ought to say to the people whose homes you destroyed, whose country you blew up, whose system you ground into dust, you ought to at least be able to say to them, I'm sorry. You know, anyway, <laughs> let's move on. There's a lot I can say to that. All right, let's end with this story. And this story is for all of the people who work here with me in the studio, because all of them are like 20. <laughs> they're, they're all like, they're all, they were all born, you know, I don't know, in 2000, all right? So some of them were born 15 years ago. I have a very young staff around here. And this story is for them, because I care about all of them so much, all right? All my people, all my people in the back, Hailey, John Boy, Nicole, Stephanie, Steve-O, 2-3, Bruto, uh, Bianca, everybody, all my people. This is for y'all. You ready? On Monday, officials in Times Square in New York City removed the last freestanding public payphone phone booth. It's gone. Since 2015, the city of New York has been removing phone booths, okay, because people no longer need phone booths. And the last one was removed from Times Square out of New York City on Monday. And all I have to say is wow, okay, wow. I understand if you're 30 or younger, you don't really get the force of this because <clears throat> you've always had a phone in your pocket. <laughs> you know, you was born with a phone in your, in your, in your diapers. <laughs> I got it. But there, there are a few of us around who remember when you had to, if you were not at home, you couldn't get a phone call unless you went into a phone booth and use the public phone. You had to put a quarter in there. Used to be a dime. I remember it was a nickel. That's how old I've become. I'm just saying. It's, 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 just, it's just the world is a very different place. And now there are no more. You could not walk down the street in New York when I was a kid and not have a payphone there. Well, now we don't need it. That's how far the world has come. You follow what I'm saying? And, and, there, and there was a time, that, listen, beloved, there was a time there was a time, Steve-O, this is for you, you too, highly. There was a time when everybody didn't, and when everybody in the house didn't have their own phone. Y'all remember this time? There was a time when everybody in the house didn't have their own phone. Matter of fact, there was a time when there was only one phone in the house. That's, that, that's, that was how it was in my house. There was only one phone number. Now, you may have had different phones in different rooms, but there was only one phone line because there was one phone number to the house. Now you, go, now you go to somebody's house and everybody in the house got their own phone number. But when I was growing up, 
You was on the phone macking, kicking it, you know what I'm saying? Talking, talking, you know, shooting your shot, <laughs> talking that talk. And what would happen? My mama was getting on the, I got to use the phone, get off right now. Y'all don't know this. Steve-O, you, you ever been through that? Okay, well, he said he's been through. I don't know if he's lying. I'm just saying, there was a time when we had, you see, you people get mad because you can't find, you can't get Wi-Fi and you can't get your service. There was a time when your mama and your daddy would get on the line and embarrass you in front of your friends. Come on, get off the phone. And my mama had no chill. You hear me? No chill. Annie Sue would get on the phone and threaten my life. <laughs> Whew. All right. So I celebrate all the progress that we've made. Good to make progress. But I want all of you people, all of you young people, Hailey, John, Nicole, Bianca, 2-3, Steve-O, I want all of y'all to remember where we came from. All right? I want y'all to remember VCRs, answering machines, phone booths, blockbuster video. Huh? Because you couldn't stream or download nothing because there was no internet. I want you to remember Pac-Man and Atari and Nintendo and, of course, MySpace. Yes. Next time you get on Facebook or TikTok, give thanks for how far we've come because God is good. <laughs> we'll be right back with more right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I love doing the shows at the end of the week because I love bringing you some of the best things that I've seen all week. And depending on the week, you know, some of these things can be extraordinarily funny or extraordinarily thoughtful or extraordinarily emotional. Um, but I got some things I want you to see, and I happen to think they're some of the best things that we've seen all week. Play the bumper, Hailey. Highly beat me to the, highly beat me, highly beat me to play in the bumper. Highly didn't like what I said about his generation. And during the break, all of them came in my ear talking about, we're not that, we're not that young. We remember Blackbuster, they all lying. They all lying. Every last one. Y'all need to repent for the lies you told me in my ear. You see how Highly jumped and did that real quick? Woo, Highly didn't like that. Highly, you still my brother, okay? Anyway, this is one of the best things that I've seen all week. Governor Glenn Youngkin, who is the governor of Virginia, recently announced that thousands of Virginians who lost their civil rights after being convicted of felonies will have their voting rights restored. The governor restored the voting rights of over 3,000 former felons who petitioned to have their rights returned. Let me be very clear, just for full disclosure, I did not support Glenn Youngkin in his bid to become the governor of the state of Virginia, of the Commonwealth of Virginia, but I have to admit, this is a very good move. Shout out to Governor Glenn Youngkin. And this is one of the best things that I've seen all week. Because I don't think it should be the case that after you serve your time and pay your debt to society, I don't think that you should never be allowed to vote again. I don't understand that. If I, if I committed a crime and I, and I went to trial and I was convicted of my crime and I did my time for my crime, when I get out of, out of, out of jail, I'm done with my crime. How come you ain't done with it? Huh? I don't, I don't understand that. Voting, if voting is a thing that makes you a citizen, then I don't understand how it is that you can cease to be a citizen in this country and be expected to pay taxes, by the way, 
after you get out of jail. So listen, if I was a felon and y'all and y'all and y'all not gonna give me back my vote, don't expect me to pay my tax. <laughs> because if voting makes me a citizen, then I need to be a citizen after I paid my debt to society. You follow what I'm saying? When a man, when a man or a woman comes out of jail, they, they should not be treated the way, as if rather they're still in jail. They're not in jail anymore, and we should treat them differently than how we treated them in jail. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that just common sense? Doesn't that just logic, everyday logic, common sense? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that just pragmatic? How I treat you in jail should not be how I treat you when you come out of jail, right? 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 It ain't that complicated to me. Now listen, now when you're in jail, no voting for you. <laughs> oh, you know I gotta make some of this funny. And when you're in jail, you don't get to vote, okay? I know there may be some people out there, some of my uber woke progressive friends who disagree with what I just said, but get your own show. When you're in jail, no voting for you, okay? But when you get out of jail, you should be able to vote. I can, I can even understand, the not, you know, delaying it. So, so you get out of jail and you got to wait three years. And after three years, you get, or two years, or even a year, you get your, vote, your voting rights back. But you ought to get your voting rights back. What is it about this country that it is, it is addicted to the paradigm that some people should be more citizens than other people? What is, what's wrong with this country? It, isn't that how we got in trouble to begin with? <laughs> that, we, that we made some people less citizens than other people? Not giving people the right to vote is how this country got into trouble in its inception. Why, why would we want to recreate the madness and the crazy and perpetuate the problem and the energy and the spirit of what ruined the country in the first place? But, but if none of that convinced you, here's the thing that will. How about this? Write this down. Felons are not slaves. And the only people in a republic or a democracy who can't vote are slaves. And felons are not slaves. Just because you committed a crime doesn't make you a slave. Somewhere I read in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that this country abolished slavery, so-called. If it abolished slavery, then felons ought to, former felons ought to be able to vote when they get out of jail. So listen. Shout out to Glenn Youngkin, man. I didn't support him for his election, but listen, I like this. I'll support this every time. All right, let me do one more. Uh, best thing that I've seen all week before I take this break. And uh, so, so here's a video of an innovative father who needed a break while he was on daddy duty. Let's take a look. I'm back. Back. Why is he like that? Because he was cold. I, I didn't have a blanket. And then he don't move. See, he don't move like this. He moving. He, but he don't, go, he don't fall off me like this. Who farting you with him? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, I love the mother in that video, okay? A dry pan humor. Who farting? <laughs> you are. <laughs> okay, that really was a great video. Okay, that was, wasn't that a great video? And only a father, only a father, a mother would never do that. A mother would never just stuff the baby down in the sweatpants. 
is improvising. You know, no. A, mother, a dad, I can totally see a dad doing that. That's something I totally would do, by the way. Y'all, don't judge me. Just pray for me, okay? Don't judge me. Just pray for me. Dad was like, look, I can't be getting up looking for blankets and pillows and all that. I got some sweatpants. Baby, go in. <laughs> yes, people. I got more best things that I've seen all week. When we come back, right after this, don't go nowhere. You're going to thank me later. Welcome back, everybody. So let's do some more best things that I've seen all week. Play the bumper, Hiley. <laughs> you didn't play the bumper. He stopped playing the bumper. I got him. Y'all see that? I got him. He got me the first time. I got him that time. All right? All right. So let's, let's talk about Buffalo. Uh, so much has happened in Uvalde, Texas with the murder uh, of these uh, blessed children who lost their lives. And we've almost forgotten about the fact that uh, 10 people lost their lives in Buffalo. Uh, African-Americans were slaughtered and assaulted in a Topps grocery store in Buffalo when a white man went in and murdered them, aimlessly, pointlessly murdered them simply because they were black. And I saw this story and I knew I had to bring it to you because I'm going to call it kindness in Buffalo. So Greg Swert heard about uh, what happened uh, in Buffalo while he was sitting in his home in a suburb of Cleveland. And he decided to drive three hours to drop off four, check this out, 400 pounds of food to a local Buffalo nonprofit organization that feeds uh, the families of victims. Greg packed up his car. That's the organization right there. Greg packed up his car with eggs and milk and cheese and frozen vegetables, along with fresh produce and water. And he kept driving until he made it all the way three hours later to Buffalo. And here's the part of the story that I love. Here's the part that made the story shoot up in my spirit. You ready? Because y'all know I can get spiritual on you in a minute. Here's what Greg said. Greg said if the shooter could drive three hours to inflict pain, then certainly I could drive three hours to provide support and love. Listen, Greg, you are one of my favorite people of the week. This is one of the best things that I've heard all week. You thought, shout out to Greg Schrute. You know what I'm saying? Greg was not question one of my favorite people because this is what love looks like. Huh? This is what genuine compassion looks like. Drove three hours to feed and help people in, a, in their time of need. Trying to give us another modeling that they're white folks, that not all white folks are out to kill all black folks. That they're good people in every race. And they are horrible people in every race. All right, let's do, more. Let's, let's, let's do another one. So um, this story was really interesting. Um, we live in a time where people are, are, are being uh, sex trafficked, trafficked, did I say that right? Yeah, sex, sex trafficking. I don't know why I can't say that. Uh, people are being kidnapped. All kinds of things are going on. And recently, uh, a quick-thinking employee at Kentucky Fried Chicken came to the aid of a woman who was literally being kidnapped or had been kidnapped, but she left a note with the worker at the KFC begging for help. And the worker called 911 after the woman slipped her a note in a, re in a restaurant uh, in the city of Memphis. Officers later soon found 23-year-old Diego Glay 
and a woman matching the description that the KFC employee gave and provided, huh? And Mr. Glay, who regrettably is right there, I was really hoping he wasn't. Y'all, y'all know, you know, y'all know what I'm thinking. Anyway, Mr. Glay was arrested and charged with kidnapping and evading arrest. Okay, and in, in, in spite of the fact that, that he's, you know, a brother. Uh, he should also be arrested for stupidity. Yes, Mr. Glay should not just be arrested for kidnapping and evading arrest, but uh, for stupidity. Because, okay, let's just bring it down to the level of common sense. If you kidnap somebody and you stealing them from, you know, home, you should probably not take them to a public restaurant. Right? Does that make sense? I, I, I'm not trying to make kidnapping a an act of intelligence. I'm just saying, if you're going to kidnap somebody, you should probably take them to a barn. Mr. Glay took the dear sister to a KFC. And because she wanted to live, and because she connected with someone who also wanted her to live, Mr. Glay is under arrest. And thank God for it. I don't care what race you are, what gender you are, what color you are. I don't care about none of that. If you do wrong, you're wrong. If you murder somebody, kidnap somebody, hurt somebody, you're wrong. And you should have to pay for what you did. And so, he, you know, he's been, he's been arrested. Not only is Mr. Glay morally bankrupt, apparently he is completely unintelligent as well. <laughs> I'm so glad that the dear sister got away from this guy, you know? And I know there are people watching tonight, and you found yourself in very dicey, sticky situations. I'm glad you got away, too. I believe in freedom for the captive. I believe that liberation is the will of the creator for all of our lives. And I would that everybody watching, everybody that comes into contact with this show, everybody that works for this show, watches this show, supports this show, even the people that hate this show, I wish all of you liberation. That you absolutely, unequivocally be free. In bondage to no man. In bondage to no woman. In bondage to no job, no fear, no emotion. You hear me? You know what it is to wake up in the morning and throw your head up and tell all of creation, I'm as free as I was last night. That's what I want for you. And I'm glad this sister got her freedom. But I'm also glad for the KFC employee. Because it's one thing to slip the note, pass the note. It's another thing to receive the note and, and do something about it. Because we live in a world nowadays where people will slip you a note and they won't even take the time to read it. They'd be so busy checking their Instagram. They'd be so busy filming something that they won't even notice that somebody is dying in their midst. God bless this employee who worked for KFC, who understood, who cared, who was concerned, and who made the call. She saved someone's life. Literally saved someone's life. Thank God they're just, they're still good people in the world. I don't care how people act crazy and what people do. I, I do this show to prove to you every time you watch that there are still good people in the world. May not be a lot of them. <laughs> the number may be diminishing and, and, and dwindling every day, but there are still good people in the world who, if they see you dying, see you suffering, see you being stolen, they will do something about it. Yeah. Shout out to the good people because bad people get too much attention. Crazy people get too much airtime, huh? Dysfunctional people get too many likes. Shout out to the good people, to the decent people, 
to the honorable people, not perfect people, just people trying to be better today than they were yesterday. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more best things that I've seen all week right after this. Welcome back, everybody. It's been an amazing show, as it often is, but today, above all days, just a little extra amazing for you. I got one more piece of best things that I've seen all week. Play the bumper, Hiley. <laughs> So yesterday, the star of the hit TV show Grownish, Yara Shahidi, graduated from that great school in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard University. That's her right there. Shout out to Yara. And yes, I'm a little biased when it comes to Harvard. I don't care. <laughs> but shout out to her being a graduate of Harvard University. Um, listen, she... Uh, she really had to do some hard work to graduate, by the way, because as is the custom at Harvard, in order to get her degree, she had to complete a 136-page thesis to get her degree, okay? But she pulled it off and she did it. And um, I love this story because it shows that you can be famous and substantive. You can be popular and intelligent. You can be, you know, you can be a social media influencer, as she is, and you can be a graduate of Harvard University. You know what I'm saying? These two things are not mutually exclusive. You don't, let, you don't have to be a, a mindless numb nut. <laughs> you can actually have read a book. A lot of books. Almost wrote a damn book. A 136-page thesis is practically a book in some places. But that's what Yara did. Education is so important. I'm glad that she honors education. Because here's the thing. She already has a job, right? Yeah, but I'm going to college because I want to get a job. I'm going to college because I want to get a job. She, she understood she already has a job making good money, okay? She had a good job making, making good money long before, it, but she decided she still wanted to be in school because she understood that the cultivation of your mind is just as important, if not more important, than the cultivation of your bank account. It's just having a lot of money and being really dumb is a good way to lose all the money you got or have. Let me get my, let me get my English right because I'm talking about education. <laughs> Shout out to Yara, man. I'm excited about her. I'm excited about, you know, listen, man, if, if you get your news or your history from TikTok, then you need to be delivered. Lift your hands. Let's have church. If, if you get your news about the world and your history from, uh, from TikTok, you need deliverance. Something is wrong. Anyway. Congratulations to all the graduates, not just Yara. Everybody graduating in this season of graduation, I celebrate you. I honor you. I'm excited about you. I'm so proud of you. Here at the Book of Sean, we esteem you. We magnograph you. We, we are ebullient about your future. You follow what I'm saying? Because you did it. And nobody can take it away from you. You graduated. And nobody can deny it. People can take your house, and people can take your car, and people can even take your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But here's what they can't take. They can't take what you know. Mm. That's the value of it. And now you know that you have the power to start to finish what you start. Now you know that you have the power to finish what you start. That when you put your mind to something, you will go right to the end. Now you know it because you've done it. And now you take what you know about yourself now and you apply it to every area of your life. That when I start something, I finish it and I finish it well. 
That's the value of college, people. Has nothing to do with getting a job. Has to do with you understanding who you are and what's inside of you and what you're capable of when you dedicate yourself to something. I started four years ago and I finished four years later or however long it takes you. I don't care how long it is, as long as you finish. You make your ancestors proud because there are hundreds of black people and brown people and broken people lying still in the ground who wish they had the opportunity that you just enjoyed and you just made them proud. So all I want to say to you is this. To Yara and to all the graduate, the graduating class of 2022, y'all keep shining like the sun because the world needs you. Woo! All right, I got, I got, I got time for one Ask Dr. Sean question and I'm going to do it right now. All right. All right. You ready for it? Here we go. Someone DM me this question. I am openly gay and I have been with my partner for three years. But when we are with his family, he refers to me as his roommate. Everyone has everyone has to come out when they are ready. But I am tired of being his secret. Should I give him an ultimatum that he has to tell his family the truth or just wait for him to make that move? All right. Listen, first, let me say this. Ultimatums usually have the opposite effect of what you want them to achieve. And if you have to give somebody an ultimatum in order for them to do something, you probably will not enjoy the thing that you're asking them to do, even when they do it, because they're not doing it because they want to do it. They're just doing it because they don't want to lose you. And that's really not a reason to do something. You ought to want people to want to do what you're asking them to do so that they can sustain what they're doing and not resent you somewhere in the middle for making them do it. But here's the other thing. You see, you're going to have to accept the, 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 the truth that while you're at pride, he's still at acceptance. He's still at acceptance. He's still trying to accept who he is in terms of his sexual orientation. You are at pride. You're proud of it. You're out. You're loud. You're ready to go. You a, a, accepted a relationship with someone who is not where you are. And you need to accept that truth that he's not where you are. And you either give him an opportunity to get there or you need to decide that you can only be with someone who is on your level. That's your choice to make. But an ultimatum is how you obfuscate the responsibility that you have to make a decision. It ain't about him deciding something. It's about you deciding something. Can you accept him as he is in his process, in his journey, in acceptance, moving toward pride? Or can you only be with someone who is proud of you and not making you their secret? That's your call. And you need to make it. I understand what you're saying. Nobody wants to be a secret and you shouldn't be. But you accepted someone who persists in secrets. Anyway, thank you for tuning in tonight on an amazing show. I'll see you soon. Y'all be good to each other. And if you can't remember nothing else, remember this. I love you.